Uh, let's pray again. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day uh, and my time together with these people. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, bless us, Father. Um, we need you to be the one who speaks, and we need you to work along with us to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word so that we can trust in it in a meaningfully uh, a meaningful way. Uh, Father, uh, so often we just learn things and they become things that we know and, and now we can give answers to questions when we're asked, but we don't necessarily trust your word um, and therefore it, it fails to have a power in our life. Uh, it, it fails to inform our relationship with you. So God, I, I pray that your spirit would be here in power uh, to make sure that truth actually becomes something we trust uh, and that whatever enters into our heads would go down into our hearts today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been uh, about a year and a half since I preached here last, um, and I don't know when I preached before that, but I don't want to just assume that all of you know me, are familiar with me, so I wanted to start with introducing myself just a little bit. Uh, like Scott said, like Dave said, my name's Brandon. Um, I actually have a lot of connections to this church. Uh, Scott is my brother-in-law. Uh, I married Steve and Tammy's oldest daughter, Erin, and I actually became friends with Sam uh, before this church was planted, and so... I, I've gotten to see it um, kind of grow and form and change, and it's been uh, really awesome to be in and out and pinch hit preach and be part of your guys' lives to the small degree that I am, and I'm very thankful uh, for that. So I've been a pastor, a college pastor for seven years. Uh, I was at SDSU for six years, and then just this last year, God called me to the one place I said I'd never live with Vermilion. <laughs> I'm an SDSU grad, and so there's, you know, that whole thing. But it turns out Vermilion is a wonderful place, and I've loved it, and God has just done wonderful things at the USD campus. Uh, over the past year. Uh, we've had at least three conversions. We've had dozens of students come to know the Lord better, and we have all kinds of students that are stepping up to lead an outreach to our campus. Uh, and so we have 10 student leaders on our campus. Uh, we have one student who's raising support to be an intern with us. And I'm really, really excited uh, to see what God's going to do this next year. Uh, some of you do get our newsletter. Uh, if you're not getting it and you think you should be, let me know. Or if you'd like to get it, uh, let me know. Uh, a lot of times I just send testimonies of students uh, and the things that God's doing impacting them and I would love to pass those on to you because uh, there's great reason to be encouraged about the generation that's coming along as, as you read the way that God's working and impacting them. Now, uh, like I said, I've been a pastor for seven years, and so uh, one thing that, that happens when you're a pastor is you get invited into people's pain a lot. Um, and, and that can be difficult, right? Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have had that experience where a dear friend or family member has gone through something difficult. Uh, maybe they lost a job. Uh, maybe a spouse passed away or a child is really sick. And you, you know that you're called to, as a friend, as a family member, to kind of enter into that pain and give them comfort. And a lot of times we don't know how to do that, do we? And so what the experience is we, we jump into our car uh, to go see them where they are, and on the way over, we're thinking of all those times where things went wrong, right, where we tried to give someone comfort, and what ended up happening is it just sort of felt awkward, and we left feeling kind of discouraged and disappointed in ourselves, like, man, it wasn't even helpful at all 
what I did for them. It wasn't helpful at all. I probably just made it worse. Well, oftentimes, you know, the best first thing that we do as Christians for our brothers and sisters or our family members or friends, uh, when they're experiencing something difficult, is simply be there to love them, right? To, to, to let them know that we're actually with them in their pain. Because, you know, suffering, for those of you who have had your share of it, it can be extremely isolating, right? Like you feel like no one understands you or no one's here, you know? And so sometimes we just need to hug people. But eventually... If there's anything we can give people as Christians, it's deep answers to suffering. You know, if there's anything we should be able to give people, it's, it's deep comfort. You know, and one of the reasons that is, is because we worship a suffering Savior, right? Uh, the Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, but he was always rejoicing. Right? So our Savior was not untouchable by reality, right? He lived in this sinful world. He was touched and marred by it every single day of his life. He experienced so much tremendous pain, but in such a way that joy was still the context of his life. How can that possibly be? Well, the Word teaches us that. And as we receive and as we learn these things for ourselves, we're able to give them to others. Now, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go through a text today that has really become my go-to text uh, for walking with people in suffering. You know, there's other texts, and this isn't going to tell you everything you need to know, um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 is just an extremely comforting text. Uh, just this year, I've used it uh, for people who have uh, lost loved ones, for people whose dads had cancer, for people who were victimized, all kinds of different situations. Now, this text is written about... Uh, persecutory suffering, right? So Paul is being persecuted, but the, the principles here apply universally to, to all of our suffering. Um, and so let's read through that, and then we're going to work through it three different times. And I want to show you three things from this text. Uh, first, comfort comes from a relationship. Uh, second, comfort comes when we have a correct biblical perspective, um, and a lot of times that doesn't come automatically. And then third, uh, suffering comes when we actually turn away from ourselves in our suffering, which is, of course, the opposite of what's natural, right? Like when I get something as small as a cold, it, 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 I get selfish, right? I just want to take care of myself. I don't think about what is God doing for others in this. But a lot of our Comfort will come when we turn away from ourselves in it. So, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself." Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. All right, so uh, before we jump into those three things, um, I kind of want to just take a pause and preach a little mini-sermon. And and the mini-sermon is this. we need to get good at preaching things we already know to ourselves so that we can trust in them. Uh, I've given this message several times this year. Uh, and like I said, I've walked through this text with several people in counseling this year. And so you might think, well, man, you've been in this text so much that the truths that you're about to say must just come automatically. Like you must just believe them automatically. I don't. Okay? Um, a couple months ago, uh, I came home and, and it was just a small suffering, right? Like I was feeling a little depressed. I was burdened by to-do lists, which we live in America, right? Like a lot of us are often burdened by our to-do lists. And I came home and, and there was a little bit of conflict going on there with kids and stuff. And, and so it just wasn't a peaceful environment. And, and I stepped into that and I was just like, ugh, right? Now, here's the thing. I had a to-do list, and so this is what I tried to do first. It wasn't the most intelligent thing to do, but I'm not the most intelligent man, so I do things like this often. Um, what I tried to do is take the truths I'm about to share with you and slap them over the problem like a Band-Aid to quickly fix it so that I could go on with my day and get my work done. Did it work? No, it did not work, right? And so God, being the kind God that he is, came down and said, Brandon, why are you doing this? You're not trying to trust in me. You're not trying to believe this. You're just trying to go on with your day and feel a little better about it. Okay, and so what I did is I stopped just rehearsing the truth I knew, and I paused, and I went back to this text, and I read through it again, and I preached it to myself. And as I did that, within eight minutes, God gave me comfort. And then I was able to go on with my day, but first love my family and put them first, and then do my stuff, right, with a much better attitude. Now, does it always happen in eight minutes? No, sometimes it takes weeks, right? But we have to get good at preaching the truth to ourselves because we wake up in a world that is constantly preaching us the wrong things, right? We, we have habits to find comfort in the wrong places, and those are the things that come more natural, okay? So if you want this stuff to help, one of the things you'll have to learn to do is return to it, right? So the most important thing you can learn today is just where to find this text. And just to remember that 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 is very comforting. So that Six months from now, when you've forgotten everything I say, (laughs) you might just remember that text, and when you need it, or when someone in your life needs it, you can go back to it, and as you read it, you start to remember and believe these things once more. Now, okay, that's for free. Uh, So let's go back to verse 3, and again, comfort comes from a relationship. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It is he who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, this is really important. Okay, I think oftentimes when people are looking for comfort, what they're thinking is comfort is this product, right? It's this goodie that God owns, 
right? Like God carries things like comfort or joy around in his divine picnic basket. And if I ask him for it, he might take it out and give it to me. But this says, no, that's not the case. Comfort comes from a relationship with God. Now, that might not seem like a huge distinction at first, but just think about how different you will pray depending on which one of these you believe. Okay, so if I think that comfort is simply a product, is a goodie, is a good, and I ask for it and God gives it, I'll pray things like this. I'll say, God, life is so hard right now. God, I I need this job. I need this paycheck. God, I need to be healed. I need my loved one to be healed. God, give me comfort. Please give me peace, God. Make things better. Make this end. Please, please, please. Amen. Okay? If, on the other hand, you realize comfort comes from relationship, you'll pray like this. God, things are hard and I am beyond myself. I need you to be present with me. Send your spirit, God. Open my eyes to your truth, God. I'm so frustrated with life. God, I can't even take another step, Lord. Be with me. Put your arms around me. Speak your truth to me. Awaken my heart. God, give me a fresh vision of Jesus. Let him be my treasure. God, I need you to usher me into your presence because I know there's fullness of joy there and I don't need to wait for my circumstances to change to have it. God, be with me. I need you. Those two things couldn't be more different, right? Could they? Comfort comes from a relationship. Now, second, verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So for as we share, while we share, if we share. Okay, so uh, being a Christian, coming to be to Christ is, is kind of a double-edged sword, Right? Being a Christian will bring additional suffering into your life, right? Sufferings that you would not have had, you will have now because you follow Jesus, right? Like, what did he say? Follow me. Pick up a cross and follow me. Now, as bleak as that may sound, this is actually where we start to see that suffering can be a very good thing for us. What does the verse say? It says, as we, if we share in sufferings with Christ, we will also share in that comfort. And so, again, this is about relationship. It's intimacy. Is it not true that most of your closest relationships are with people that you have suffered with tremendously, that you've faced the hardness of life tremendously? I remember uh, my wife and I have been married for 10 years now. Uh, after our first year of marriage, which was pretty difficult uh, in some ways, we had a lot of you know, extra expenses, cars breaking down, emergency room visits, those types of things. And uh, we were transitioning. We're down in Texas, new place, new relationships. Everything was different. Um, and it was a tough year. And um, that summer, we got to go to Redfield and live with my in-laws. And I was an interim pastor there. And it was just a very relaxing summer, like uh, living with them, as crazy as that sounds, I must have amazing in-laws, right? But it was like, it was actually a really good relaxing time. And uh, at the end of the summer, uh, my wife and I were having a conversation and we're like, man, 
we're, we're really looking forward to jumping back in the foxhole together, right? Like we're actually looking forward to life being tough again and, and dealing with these things together because as we thought about that year, we realized how much our relationship had grown. Like our love had deepened so much. Our reliance on each other had, had deepened so much. Like the, a year into a tough, a tough year later from being married and it, it was just amazing the change in our, the depth of our relationship. Well, what kind of, this is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. This is intimacy. This is a mutual sharing of suffering, right? And so we're in the foxhole with Jesus, right? Our relationship grows through the suffering. The suffering's like a pathway, but it leads to something more than itself. It, re- it, it, it leads to a deeper relationship with Jesus, which brings comfort. All right, second thing, comfort comes from a correct biblical perspective. Uh, Let's start in verse 4. It is God who comforts us in all of our affliction. Now, there's two words I want you to notice here. The first word is all our affliction, right? All is not some, all is not most, all is not just the small things, all is not just the big things. All means all. And I think people tend to be on kind of two different sides uh, of the range here. Uh, some people sort of live by the motto, don't sweat the small stuff, right? In fact, they think that's something that God has commanded. Don't sweat the small stuff. Like, and, and so you think, well, yeah, of course God's taking care of all the really big deal stuff, right? Like the world needs to run smoothly and there's famines and stuff like that. Yeah, God, God takes care of those things. When someone dies, yes, I hope in God then. But God just kind of expects me to deal with all the small little things, busyness at work, right? Stubbing my toe, getting cut off while I'm driving, right? Like God just expects me to pull up my pants and deal with those things. That's not true, right? You don't even have the power to deal with the small things well, (laughs) right? Like God wants to enter into those small things and help you and care for you and love you and comfort you. Now, there's people on the other side who think, well, of course God can help with the small things. Of course God can help with the medium things, but the comfort of God does have limits, right? When the spouse dies, when the child dies, when you lose your ability to walk, uh, when you lose your ability to see, God's comfort has reached its limits. Is that what this says? No. God can comfort us in all of our affliction, even the really, really big things. And we'll get to more of how that, how that works. The next word to notice is it says in. God comforts us in all of our affliction. Right? In doesn't mean outside of. In doesn't mean after. Right? In means in the midst of the suffering, at the apex of the suffering, at the worst points of the suffering. God can give you comfort even there. Now, isn't it true that most of us think comfort probably works more like this? Something bad happens, it ends, and then you get comfort. Right? And and comfort, to have it, means that the suffering must end. But this says that God's comfort is so strong that it can enter us in the middle of the worst possible pain and give us comfort. Why? Because comfort does not come from a change of circumstances. It comes from a relationship with God, a deepening relationship with God. Now, this completely frees us. <laughs> um, 
So this has been an extremely meaningful passage for me personally. I, uh, I struggle a lot with chronic pain. Um, I was born with deformed vertebrae. Uh, so you might have three vertebrae and I'll have like one that's, that's the size of two and a half of yours. And then I'll like have half of one. Um, and so what that's meant for me is my body doesn't really have a normal, it doesn't have an equilibrium, and, and my muscles just pull me all different directions, and I, I usually kind of deal with this rotating pain, and sometimes it gets very, very bad. Um, in fact, I've had multiple years of excruciating pain in my life. Um, praise God, I'm doing fairly well. Uh, today, uh, but I, I do. I experience a lot of pain, and, and a lot of the times, uh, I, I would pursue relief as if, like, until the pain's over, until the pain's over, I can't have relief. And so I would scramble, and I would, I would search, I would try to find answers, which is fine. But God finally showed me <laughs> my peace, my comfort, my joy. I can have that no matter how bad a day I am having physically. And it's been amazingly freeing. It's so freeing, in fact, that there's been days where I've just wept for like 45 minutes at, at the wonderful things that God has done uh, for me through this. So we don't have to wait for affliction to end. God can comfort us in it, not just after it. All right, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is very important. Christians can despair of life. Christians can despair of life. Now, now here, think about who wrote this. Okay? This is it. This is Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, right? The representative of Christ on the earth. He's wrote scripture, right? He did things in the spirit that none of us done. He had a relationship with Jesus, speaking with him in a way that none of us have. And he says, I, Paul, the greatest church planner that's probably ever lived, I, Paul, despaired of life. What does this mean? It means that God isn't asking Christians to be unrealistic about the world they live in and deny that pain is something that exists, right? God is not asking us as Christians when we go through pain to just be able to walk through it imperviously, right? Like we're Wolverine, right? Wolverine, my favorite X-Men, he gets shot, he just heals, right? He gets stabbed, he just heals, right? Like all of his wounds heal immediately, and there's so many Christians that are so completely wrong about this. They think, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, so that means when I suffer, I should just immediately heal. And so what happens is they don't, and then they heap intense guilt on themselves, additional to the suffering, thinking, well, I just must not be a very good Christian, because if I was, I'd be walking through this. It wouldn't phase me. No, that's just frankly not true. Right? We live in a broken world, and God isn't asking us to sail through suffering. He's asking us to invite him into it so that he can comfort us in the midst of it. Christians can despair, but it leads to something good. Verse 9, Paul says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
Uh, this is also very encouraging. Uh, Paul was a growing Christian, <laughs> right? And, and he just said here, it's like, you know, one thing I struggle with, Paul, uh, uh, Paul struggles with is self-reliance. I depend on myself. And, and, and the suffering came in. God's sovereign, right? He controls it. The suffering, and God started to push me and push me and push me. And, and, and think about what kind of suffering this is, right? How does he describe it? It was a suffering that you felt like you'd received the sentence of death, right? It was, it was a despairing of life. Okay, so this is a kick me, kick you while you're down suffering. That, that, right? Cause you don't say those things about light sufferings. Uh, a kick you while you're down suffering. It's like, okay, everything in your life has gone wrong. Or so you think. And then you realize you're wrong because something else goes wrong. Okay, that's the kind of suffering that's going on here. Um, I'll share a little, Personal stuff again. Uh, June, June was a very hard month uh, for my family, uh, for my wife and I especially. Uh, in June, we celebrated our 10th anniversary and really exciting time. So for our 10th anniversary, we decided that we were going to travel further and stay longer uh, on vacation. Um, and the day we left on our 10th anniversary trip, uh, we found out that we were miscarrying our third child, um, the third miscarriage that we've had. And so all of a sudden, this, this time of celebration that became, the context of that celebration was my wife miscarrying uh, this child. Uh, we, we came back from the trip, and I got sick. Like I said, I have health problems. I got sick for a week. It was terrible. And then the week after that, uh, I, I slowly kind of get back into to working, and it's, it's really difficult because I'm still feeling ill, but I'm getting back to it, and my car breaks down, <laughs> right? Now, if my car had just broken down that month, it wouldn't have been a big deal. I, it wouldn't have frustrated me. I, I, I would have been fine. But that was like that, really? Like, uh, this happens, and then this happens, and then my car breaks down, really? And, and I had someone ask me that week, hey, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? And what I said uh, is, well, it was my car breaking down. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense, does it? Like, how can, that, how can that be? Because that was the last straw. Okay, so I, Paul deals with self-dependence. I deal with self-dependence, self-reliance, right? And, and during the miscarriage, during the illness, you know what I was doing? I was being self-reliant. I was just trying to deal with it. I was just trying to be that rock, right, for my wife and my children. And then I was just trying to, I was just trying to do it on my own. And God would not let up. He just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And so my car broke down. And this is what, this is what I did first. I tried to fix it for an hour and a half and got really ticked off. <laughs> right? But after that was over, I was finally like, all right, God, I, I can't do it. I, I can't. I, I've been trying to do it. I can't do it. And, and so I was turned away from myself to him. And it was amazing. You know, the comfort, the peace, the relief, the things that I had been searching for for three weeks finally came upon me through that relationship with God. So some of you need to learn to let suffering do what it was designed to do, to push you beyond yourself. 
You guys scramble around and work so hard just like I do to do it on your own, and then you get frustrated and angry. Well, turn away from yourself to God. You know, some of you men or maybe women, you're like me, right? You want to be the tough guy. You want to be the man. And so you think, hey, I can't let anything bother me. I have to do it on my own. Part of suffering is designed to push you beyond yourself from being self-reliant to God-reliant. Now, there's another thing it does. God, uh, or Paul, says that the suffering didn't just push us beyond ourselves to God, but specifically to rely not on ourselves, but on a God who raises the dead. So Paul's reliance shifted from himself to God, and Paul's hope shifted from this life to the next. Where do we see that? Because it wasn't just on God, it was on a God who raises the dead. Okay, so Paul's hope wasn't that he would live. Paul's hope was that even if he died, he would live. (laughs) His hope got transferred from this life to the next life, which is where it should be anyways. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've thought about this for years, um, about the way God designed a life, right? We come into the world with nothing, and most of us leave with nothing. Some of us die when we're younger, but most of us age, or have the opportunity to age. Uh, and as you age, right, like, things happen. You lose physical abil- abilities, you lose friends, you lose your ability to enjoy certain things, right? And, and you kind of start experiencing to some degree that, man, I am going to leave this place with nothing. Now, as that starts to happen... You need to receive that as a mercy. Okay, at the end of your life, God is making it so much easier for you to transfer your hope to where it always should have been, the next life. Now, if that's not where you are, don't waste your life, right? Don't waste what's left of your life hoping in this place and waiting for things to start to wane, to start... Tra- we're supposed to be transferring that now because once we do that, we're free because our joy and our comfort is no longer reliant on the things of this world. And if you try to put your hope in this place, it will fail you. Uh, one of the most saddening things I, I'd ever seen, saddening conversation I ever had was with a friend... Um, like I said, we used to live in Texas, and I worked at an insurance company, and, and this guy was a friend there. He turned 40. Uh, I had this conversation in my early 20s. Uh, he turned 40, which is a very reflective age, I think, to turn, a kind of middle-aged. Uh, you sort of assess your life. And uh, the guy wasn't a believer, and so we were s- sitting at his pool outside his mansion. Uh, inside his mansion, he had three big screen TVs with three Xboxes and Playstations because he's a gamer. He had a hundred-some-thousand-dollar car, beautiful car. Uh, he had a good love life as far as that goes. Uh, he was one of the upper dogs uh, at the company. So, like, when the CEO came and visited, uh, he was the guy that stood up front and got praise from the CEO. So he had, he had a lot of work status. And so we're sitting there at his pool, and, and the guy had just enough to drink that he was being a little bit more honest than people are normally. And what starts coming out of his, his mouth is he felt like his life had failed him. I've attained everything I wanted, I've reached every goal, and I'm not happy. And you know what he did? He started to work to convince himself that it was enough. 
He, he started to try to convince that, yes, it really does all make me happy. Why? Because if this isn't it, if I can't be happy with this, then I'm doomed. If this doesn't do it, nothing can do it. His hope was hopeless, yet he, he, he didn't turn away from it. it didn't, he didn't shift. He stayed. And for me, it was heartbreaking. Okay. Some of you, a lot of you maybe haven't attained your hopes in life, and they trick you because you think, well, man, once I get this thing, right, once I get that dream house, once I get that dream marriage, once I get those kids, once I get those grandkids, once I retire, right, then life will be better, then I'll be fixed, right, that'll answer all my problems, it won't. You know, I, <laughs> I love my life, I've been blessed with so many good things, right, I have a beautiful wife, wonderful kids, great family, <sighs> Uh, you know, I love what I do. I, I love what I do. Uh, but none of those things have been the answer. Um, this past year, we bought a house, first house we ever owned. Not the answer, right? Definitely not the answer. Um, none of those things make my life work. None of those things fix me. None of those things give me a lasting joy. So we need to abandon that as the answer, Right? And one of the things that suffering does is it gives us opportunity. It pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes us to get our hope in the right place, right? To put our hope in something that's rock solid, right? Never fading, never ending, and God will not fail to give it to us. All right. So third thing, um, comfort comes when we turn away from ourselves in it. Uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Uh, verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. All right, so, you know, if you were to ask Paul, hey, Paul, why, why did this suffering happen? Uh, he would be able to give you some personal reasons. He'd be able to say, well, because God was doing some really good things for me. Right? God was helping me shift my reliance to him. God was helping me put my hope in the right place. But Paul knew something else, something huge. He's, he knew that, that his suffering was not primarily about him. If we are afflicted, he says, it's for your sake. Hmm. Okay, well, you did get comfort, right, Paul? Yeah, why? Why did God give you comfort? So that we'd be able to comfort others. <laughs> Interesting. And, and God delivered you from this particular situation, right? Yeah. Why? Because God wants me to love others and direct them to him in praise. Like Paul thinks, you know what? God delivered me, and that would be an absolute waste if it ended with me, if it didn't lead others to praise God with me. You see, Paul knew something that, that very few of us know. What happened to him wasn't just about him, nor was it primarily about him. What happened to him was for others. Okay, so one way to think about this is, is there's a difference. When suffering meets selfishness, 
It becomes malignant and grows death. When suffering meets love, it turns outwards and brings compassion. Um, so like I said, I, I've dealt with a lot of chronic pain in my life. Uh, in eighth grade was my first big experience of pain. Um, I was on bed rest for most of the summer, and during that time, my parents started having conversations with doctors, and the question came up of whether we should do spine surgery uh, and put rods and stuff in, in my back, and uh, of course, there was some risk to that, but one of the things that would happen is I would lose a lot of my motion, you know, which would make it harder for me to do a lot of the sports things that I loved, um, and as a young man, I just didn't want to make those sacrifices. Luckily, the pain went away, and, it, and we didn't do it. So 10th grade, a couple years later, I start feeling the pain again, and I was so afraid that it would lead to surgery that I didn't tell a soul anything about it. Now, I wasn't a believer at this point. So for 10 months, I, I, I found myself walking through this intense daily physical pain. It would take me 10 minutes just to sit up in bed in the morning, I uh, would be in the hallway and friends would jump on me, and every time that happened, it, it was just excruciating, but I, I was so afraid of what would happen if I told someone. Now, here's the thing. I was suffering, and that suffering met selfishness. And you know what happened? <laughs> I became a man who was just filled with anger and hatred all the time, especially at the suffering of others, Right? I would look at other people that were going through other problems and they would talk to me and I would think, how dare you feel bad about that? How dare you? You don't deserve to suffer or to feel bad about that. That's not real suffering. I'm the only person on the face of the earth that understands real suffering. Because when suffering means selfishness, it leads to wacky thoughts like that. You know, and so I just became this just man entrenched in bitterness and anger, and I had no ability to have any compassion or empathy for anybody else. Obviously, that made me isolated. Obviously, that ruined friendships. Obviously, that, that had a lot of destruction. Now, God saved me. <laughs> Praise God in college. He saved me. And I'm still selfish, but not as bad as I used to be. Uh, love has grown and my compassion for others has grown. And now that suffering, instead of meeting selfishness, meets love. And so I'm able to turn away from myself in the suffering and go in and ask different questions. What does God mean to do for others through the suffering? What does God mean to do for others as he gives me comfort? What does God mean to do others as he delivers me and my eyes get off myself and think for others? And, and as that's happened, I found all this suffering that I've experienced in life has been such a huge source of compassion because I actually understand suffering. And suffering is suffering, little or small, it's still painful. And, and, and all of a sudden, God's able to use all these experiences to really love and sit and pray and care and be, actually be there with someone. And the comfort he's given, you know, I can hand that out to others as something that I've actually experienced, right? You know, it's not, well, let me tell you about something theoretical. Let me tell you what God has done in my life and how it works, right? And I've seen God use that. It's amazing. And, and of course, as I do that, that answers so much of my own suffering and my joy increases. Now, probably where I struggle the most is still in uh, sharing the deliverances, right? When God actually answers prayer, you know, honestly, I don't even keep track of my prayers 
enough to even know what he answers. But, but how much better would it be? How much more would I praise God if I was actually paying attention and asking others to praise God when he did great things and delivered me and us? So get your eyes off yourself in suffering. Do the very opposite of what you're supposed to do. And here's the thing, you can't do it. I've just given you a whole list of things that you can't do unless you start with point one, relationship with God. Right? It's, it's the relationship with God that makes all the difference. If you just take this list and start trying to work it on your own reliance again, it will not work. Right? So turn to God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you for your word and your truth. And God, uh, I just pray again that if there's one thing anyone remembers today, that it would be the text, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 11, because uh, they will forget uh, what I've said and maybe haven't even heard it. But if they know that text, next time they need comfort, next time they need to give out comfort, um, they will know one of the places they can find it. So, Father, help us, God, increase, deepen our relationship with you. Help us to know in the deepest recesses of our hearts that there's nothing better than that, that there's nothing more worthy or valuable than that, and that anything you would put us through, uh, God, to deepen our reliance, our relationship, our love for you, to put our hope in the right place, is a really good thing for us. Um, so, Lord, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.